For some time now, we've been in this series called The Church, which is His Body, focusing on uh, when Jesus prayed, God's kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. The vehicle that He uses to see that come to earth is His church. And the church of Jesus Christ serves the kingdom of God in the earth and serves the extending of the kingdom. And while Jesus went back to heaven to assume his his role and his position to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he leaves his body here to continue the work, and we are directed by the head, which is Jesus Christ. And so we are really wanting to see what it is that the body of Christ is supposed to be and do in the earth. And so a few weeks ago, we started looking at the spiritual gifts that God gives his body. We are natural people, full of his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are supernatural people who have been endued with supernatural gifts. You say, well, I don't have anything supernatural. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And some of you today and over the next few Sundays are going to realize that you have a supernatural gift. Again, I've repeated this many times that we have a supernatural mission, so therefore we must have supernatural power. And come with supernatural power, God puts gifts into his church. Today, we're looking at gifts from the Father that are different. Um, and I'll come back to that title in a moment. We're going to read some verses here in a moment. We're going to identify Seven, not in today's passage, we're going to identify seven gifts that uh, that we're going to dwell on over the next, I don't know how long. Uh, they are service, exhortation, or encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, helping, and administration. The last two will come from 1 Corinthians 12. You say, well, those don't look like gifts to me. I mean, we know a lot of people who help, but we know a lot of people who can lead. Let me tell you that everybody can do all seven of those things, but some people have a special gift for these things. And as we go through these, you will, one of two things will happen. One is that you will all of a sudden recognize that you have a propensity for one of these gifts that you, you weren't really aware of. And the other thing that will happen is you'll look around the room or look around your world and you will say, oh yeah, that's, they have that gift. That's why, and you fill in the blank. Now, I'm not going, I'm not all black and white on this, but some people call these gifts the gifts from the Father. And they call the gifts that we just got through covering that are listed in Ephesians 4 that they're given by Jesus. Because it does say in Ephesians 4 that Jesus gave gifts. And some, and they say that the nine gifts that we will get to, some of you say, man, get to that speaking in tongues stuff. That's what I want to hear about. <laughs> okay, we will. Just stick around. But some say that those gifts, nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, are the gifts of the Spirit. And it does say the Spirit administers those gifts. 
Again, I'm not persnickety about this, but if you want to call these the Father's gifts and then the Son's gifts and the Holy Spirit's gifts, guess what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three God. One is correct too. Excuse my OCD. God. And so maybe it's apropos that on Father's Day, we talk about the Father's gifts. Again, I would not teach that as an absolute truth doctrine that you had to adhere to, but if you like it, hang on to it. If you don't, forget I said it. Another thing I want us to understand today is that we all, everybody say all. All. See, all does not leave you out. Sometimes we say, we, you know, we all. We all exercise these gifts according to the grace that is given us by the Father. Which assumes that he's given us grace. And it assumes that it comes from the Father. And whatever he's given us, we exercise these gifts according to what he has given us. Now, I'm going to give you something so profound, you're going to want to write it down and memorize it. You can't do what you don't have. You can't be what you're not. Come on, somebody. That's a, I'm a rapper. Y'all get with it. I don't mean a gum rapper. It's according to his grace. He said, I want to be like them. Well, it's God who chooses the gifts that he gives us. And by the way, this, I'll have to come back to this on the nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. But let me just tell you something. That the gift that you possess speaks nothing about you. <laughs> I'm sure you like that. It's A gift never speaks of the recipient. It speaks of the giver. When God gives you something, it doesn't necessarily indicate that you've been a good boy or girl. It indicates that God's a good God. And God gives gifts sovereignly as he desires. It may or may not be that you've been a good boy or girl. But it is always true that God gives the gifts that he gives as we've sung today, he is a good, good father. So don't get, and, and we'll read in a moment Paul addressing that. And finally, I just want to say this. It's not uncommon, especially in these seven gifts. It's not uncommon to possess more than one of these gifts. So you're sitting there thinking, which one I got? Well, you may have three. God may have given you a, a leaning towards three of these gifts. But I guarantee you, you possess at least one. If you're breathing, is anybody not breathing? All right, we're in good company. If you're breathing, you possess at least one of these gifts. Turn with me to Rome to turn with me to Romans 12. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8, and I would ask you if you would to stand while we read the scripture. I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. By the way, the word there, brothers, is a a word that means brothers and sisters. It's male or female or male and female. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or 
in light of our teaching today, your spiritual, te- your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, Don alluded to that, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, See, Paul couldn't even do what he did except by the grace of God. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. If that's for me, tell them I'm busy. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Some of your Bibles there will say, let us exercise them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You can be seated. Now you can try to calculate, if you want to, what Sunday I'm going to deal with the the gift of giving and give with generosity so you can go fishing that day or something. I don't know. But... One body in Christ, individually members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace that's given us by the Father. Why are they different? Why are these gifts different? Why don't we all have the... Everybody has all the gifts. Well, first of all, God's God. He's got this notion that He's God and He can do it the way He wants to. But secondly... The, the character and the nature of God is so diverse that it can never be displayed in one person or even one church. And so we're going to just deal with two of the gifts today. And I hope we get through both of them. And the first one is, is the gift of serving or the gift of service, uh, that, that Paul lists here. Now, by the way, prophecy is mentioned. In this list, we will deal with that when we get to 1 Corinthians 12. Teaching is mentioned. We dealt with that recently. Matter of fact, last Sunday, we dealt with the gift of teaching in the office of the teacher. We're not going to deal with those again. The gift of serving, which is such a high mark of our, of our role and our position in the Christian world. The Bible says, and Jesus said this, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And he goes on to say two verses later, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others. We have the example of our Lord that he came to earth to serve, to not be served. You would think that the Lord Jesus, who is God, would come to earth, manifest himself so that people could serve him. And yet it's just the opposite. He says, I didn't come for that. I came so that I could serve. So our heart All of us, our hearts should be to serve. By the way, uh, if you want a good book to read, Improving Your Serve by Chuck Swindoll. Improving Your Serve. Book's been out quite a while. 
and you should still be able to find it. For those of you who want a really good gift, bookfinder.com. It speaks as itself. Webster's Dictionary tells us that service or serving in a general sense is labor of body or, or body and mind performed at the command of a superior or the pursuance of duty or for the benefit of another. Going beyond ourselves. The word here in the original, I don't often do this, I don't like doing this very much, but the word here in the original is diakonia. Let me say that again. Diakonia, that sounds like something. It sounds like deacon. Diakonia, and that's where we get our word deacon, which simply means to serve. The, the implication here is that there's an attendant or a waiter or server waiting and making themselves, you know, a waiter, a way, a really good waiter doesn't wait. Now I've been to some restaurants where they do. They wait, but a really good waiter attends to your needs. Uh, I used to go back when, when I used to drink sweet tea, I'd go in a restaurant and I'd find the nearest bus boy, especially if I'd been out working in the sun and I'd call him over. I'd give him a $5 bill. I said, don't let my tea glass get empty. If you do, I want that back. Guess what never happened? It never got empty because he was wanting to serve. Well, he, he had a motivation. $5 back then was quite a bit of money. But to serve is to be, to, to make ourselves available to someone else, to go beyond ourselves, which gives me to some principles of serving. And I can't spend, I can't sit down on these very long, so just, Take a picture or the notes are available on the Uversion app on your phone, however you want to do it. But first of all, let me say it this way. The first thing is serving God's people is equal to serving God. Would y'all read that? Go ahead. We miss that. Say, well, I, you know, I'll serve God. I'm going to serve God, but I don't want anything to do with those kids. Well, he says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, truth's not in you. I didn't write that, but I like it. I'm not going to read it, but you remember in Matthew 25, Jesus said, you, when you went to the prison, when you when you fed the hungry, when you... You know, when you go through the whole list, he said, "You, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I'm reading a book by a friend of mine named David Cassidy. And no, he's not that David Cassidy. <laughs> that David Cassidy is no longer with us. David actually has been to this church a time or two. Book's called Indispensable. It's a very good book, by the way, on the basics of Christian life. David, by the way, if, if you want to move your membership, he's the pastor at Christ Community Church in Franklin. And he writes, my friend Garrett, who Garrett Gustafson, I met over 40 years ago. I met, I've known Garrett longer than I've known David. My friend Garrett spent a morning with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. I've been knowing Garrett 40-something years. I didn't know that. 
As they discussed worship, Garrett used to be one of the writers and artists with Integrity Music and uh, Hosanna. Garrett hoped to impress on her the need for her and her sisters to sing beautiful songs of praise and thanks to God. Mother Teresa answered that singing did not play a large role in her worship. What does worship mean to you then, Garrett asked. If you really want to worship, she answered, go out and serve the poor and the sick. Care for those in need. For as Jesus taught us, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. When you serve God's people, you are serving God. Paul writes to the Colossian church, whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as though you were doing it for the Lord and not merely for people. He goes on to say, it is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. If we could see what we do for other people as serving the Lord Christ, how different would it be? How would we apply ourselves if we could see, you know, that you heard me say about the lady praying at the line of a rescue mission somewhere. And she said, Lord Jesus, we know that you're coming through this line tonight. You're coming through the line tonight. Let us serve these people as if you, we know it's you. How would it change what we do? Serving God's people. Also, serving provides us an opportunity to go beyond ourselves. It provides us an opportunity to get beyond our own self-awareness, our own self-desires, which probably is our biggest enemy. Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, you're not going to die on my watch. Nope, that's not going to happen to you. But then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And when Peter had his mind on the things of man, guess what man he had his mind on? Super apostle Peter. It's not going to happen while I'm around. Don't You can quit talking like that, Jesus, that you're going to die. You, eh, nope, not as long as I got anything to do with it. And then he got called Satan. Well, anyway, that's... <clears throat> Jesus followed that encounter with this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. Service gives us that place. And that when he says come after me, that really means to, to, to accompany him from behind. Uh, Peter was trying to accompany Jesus from in front. And we don't even accompany Jesus from the side. I know there are people walking with Jesus trying to help him out. You know, you know, you really, Jesus, you really ought to have him do this. You know, this is really what I want to do. No, we accompany him from behind. We follow him. Serving definitely facilitates the denial of self. You can't, if you do it right, you can't serve someone else and gratify the flesh because the flesh is screaming. 
Augustine said, For when I noticed that you were being slowed down in your divine purpose by your preoccupation with domestic cares, I felt that you were being carried and dragged along by your cross rather than you were carrying it. Self. I want to tell you that true serving can be done without accolades and without expectation of accolades. You can serve without looking for a reward or someone to recognize you. True serving, and most of the time, no one ever knows about. Oh, let me just speed up here. Serving others frees up time for them to do other things. Remember in Acts 6, the apostles said all these widows need to be fed, and the people are grumbling and complaining. We need to spend time studying the Word. We need to spend time doing what we do as apostles, identify some folks to be deacons so they can serve these widows, and they did. They identified seven. Serving is done to the other person's specification and desires. You're not serving someone if you're doing it the way you want it done. Ooh, boy, that got quiet. If you're going to wash somebody's car, you need to do it the way they want it done. If you're going to mow someone's grass, you need to do it the way they want it done, not the way you think it ought to be done. Okay, I'll move on. (laughs) Serving begins in the household of faith. Paul tells us this, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially for those in the family of faith. You want to learn how to serve? Learn how to serve your brother and sister in Christ. And then once you get that, then you can go serve anybody. You know, we had a thing here several years ago when I did a message on pay it forward, and I told you to go out and and do something for someone in our body, do some sort of a service, and you guys did a good job of that. And then I said, now go out and do something for someone who's not only outside of our body, but especially those that you may feel like that they are not believers or followers of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm going to pick on Don again because he went to his boss and he said, hey, I heard you're going to be digging some ditches in your yard. I'm going to come help you. He said, why would you do that? He said, I, I, I just want to serve. So they were digging the ditches and and, and his boss said, hey, don't y'all do mission trips? Well, yeah. Dig a little longer. He says, why don't we do one? Now, this is a guy at the time who wasn't, didn't resemble a follower of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when he went on the mission trip, he wouldn't stay at the mission. He wanted to stay at the hotel so he could keep drinking his beer. The guy at the mission wouldn't allow that. I wouldn't have either. So they go. The guy sees, ultimately gives his life to Christ. And now I meet with him every Tuesday morning in a Bible study. And serving is a tangible means of demonstrating our love for one another. How many of you remember the old, speaking of beer, beer from the pulpit twice today. The old commercial where the guy's buttering up his friend. He said, you can do that all you want to, but you're still not getting my Bud Light. I wish I had a better example. Coors Light. I'm just kidding. You can't just say I love you. 
you've heard me say that agape is an action word. It's not, you don't just say it. Agape, here's how, what agape looks like. God so agaped the world that he gave action. Agape is always followed by action. And so Paul tells us that through love, we should serve one another. I love you, man. Well, then serve. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall serve your neighbor as yourself. Through the agape that God has sprinkled into your hearts, Romans 5, you should serve one another. And when we do that, we're going beyond ourselves. Now, let me just tell you, you think about it. There are people in this room, and you might be one of them and you didn't know, there are people in this room that when they exhale, they exhale serving. They exhale service. Because God has put a gift in them. Now, again, everybody should serve. Everybody does serve, hopefully. But there's some people that you just, and you know what's so great about it is, you don't even know it half the time. You don't even know it because the gift just comes out. And they start doing things, and it's just a, it's not, oh, goodness, I got to go. No, it's, it's just like a natural thing. They show up. You need, you need to have, have something done. It just, they show up. Where can I help? Because there's something in them supernaturally motivating them to serve. Which brings us to our second gift for the day, the gift of exhortation or encouragement. <clears throat> I use the word exhortation because that's what the English Standard Version gives us. It's a word that simply means to call to one side. Exhort means to call to one side. May I say to you that when when Jesus said in John 14 and John 16, when he said, I will send you a comforter, parakletos, I will send you a comforter, it's the same word. The, the comforter, John 14 and 16, is called to our side to help us. The, to exhort is the same word, to be called to one side to help. It also is translated in the Bible to encourage, to implore, and to urge. The primary sense of this word to us is to give strength or courage to someone. To encourage means to give courage to someone. Boy. Kenneth Kane Kinghorn, that's hard to say, KCK, um, British method, I'm not sorry, British, but a Methodist theologian said the ability to call, for, it's the ability to call forth the, forth the best within others through the ministry of understanding, encouragement, and counsel. You know what? Exhortation or encouragement is another form of serving because you're trying to help someone else 
get what, you know, I'm Zig Ziglar. Most of you have heard of Zig Ziglar. He used to say, if you want to get what you want, the best way to get what you want is to help somebody else get what they want. Disregarding your own wants. The ability to call forth the best within others. That's what we're looking for. Now, there are typical characteristics of one who's an exhorter or encourager. And first of all, is one who's generous. Someone who's generous, not just with money, but with their time, with their abilities, with their gifts. Uh, a, a, an exhorter or an encourager is uh, has discernment of where a person is, where they are in their stage of life. Where are they in their walk with the Lord Jesus? Where What are they thinking about? What are they going through? An exhorter or an encourager will get that. You meet someone and you, you get there right here. or they're, they're, You understand them. Another thing about an exhorter is the ability to see potential in others. Uh, to motivate them to action. And to see beyond their current state. If you're a real encourager, when you meet someone, you see beyond where they are now. You see the potential of what God can do with them. And you want to motivate them and help them, not by bossing them around, but by encouraging them in that direction. And you want to tell them, hey, I see more. I see more than where you are. I see more than what you're doing. I see more than what you see. There's potential there that we need to Get into. Of course, a person who's going to be an encourager or an exerter is a person of faithfulness. You don't have to wonder where they are. A real encourager will not come alongside you, encourage you a time or two, and then say, okay, I'm tired of you. You didn't respond. I'm going to go somewhere else. Oh, faithfulness. Faithfulness. And also selflessness. Not being preoccupied with themselves. Why is it that we need encouragement or exhortation? Why do we need that? Well, first of all, the devil is on the prowl. Y'all know who the devil is, don't you? Of course you do. First Peter 5 teaches us that he's like a roaring lion on the prowl, seeking someone to devour. And don't think he's quit. Even though he's been defeated by our Lord Jesus on the cross... Through resurrection, he's still prowling. He's still looking for you and for me to believe his lies and to act accordingly. Now, I've, I've told you before, I feel awkward quoting myself, but I'm going to do it anyway. From the 2000, October 2005 Kernels of Truth, I wrote, The tools of his trade, the devil... Tools of his trade are isolation and separation, which are intended to cause us to lose courage. To lose courage is to let our hands drop from the task. It is to lose our grip and relax our focus and determination. If we lose our grip and drop our hands, who is going to plow our part of the field? That's to lose courage. And so what, what do you need if you're losing courage? You need someone to come along and in, 
encourage you, to stand beside you, to strengthen you, to exhort you. Not only is the devil on his prowl, but each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I know nobody in this room can relate to that, but it's true. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And the reason we know that is because in Matthew 6, 34, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, don't worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. Deal with today. You do, if you deal with today, you're doing pretty good. You can't deal with tomorrow. Would you do me a favor and turn to 2 Corinthians 11? I'm going to give you a gift today. 2 Corinthians 11, whether you flip pages or tap your phones and tablets. Second Corinthians 11. I'm going to give you a gift for those days when you think life is crashing in around you and that no one has as bad a day as you. Verse 24, this is the Apostle Paul who gave us two-thirds of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul. And he says in verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Now, in my redneck math from North Florida, that's 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and he didn't mean funny little cigarettes either. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger from church members. No, that's not even in there. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then he goes on to say... The Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. He was looking for me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands by brothers. It doesn't say that, but if you go back to the book of Acts, you'll see about the brothers in the church helped him escape. Now, if that isn't encouraging, but let me just tell you, the next time you think that you got problems, go here. When your iPhone battery goes dead and you think the world's caving in around you, Go here. When a worker, a co-worker is giving you problems and you think that the end of the world is about to go here and see how it matches up. I'm not done. And not every day has enough trouble of its own. So therefore we need people to exhort us. We were not built to go it alone. Sean last week alluded comedically to the 
my disdain, not for Tom T. Hall, but for the song that he wrote, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. I met Tom T. Hall once, one of the nicest fellows I ever met. Invited me into his office and let me play his guitar that he writes all those songs on. But he sure missed it with this one. Because it's, it's never me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. It's never. I mean, good. Again, I love the guy. I don't like the song. Because we were not built. We were not wired. We were not designed to go it alone. You just heard me read that the, the isolation is one of the devil's greatest tools. When God said to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone, obviously he was speaking about Eve, but the principle applies. It's not good for man to be alone. We studied a few weeks ago the verse that said, when each part is working properly. So because we're not built to go it alone, we need one another. Now you may not like me, and I may not like you, now, the insecure people just said, he's talking about me. <laughs> he's talking about me. Well, okay, Larry, don't say what you were thinking, but I'll say this. I wouldn't think about anybody, particularly. We need the brothers and sisters. We need the encouragement of the brothers and sisters. We need the body of Christ. Real quickly, the value of exhortation is that encouragement builds us up. It, it builds us up when we're encouraged. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. First Thessalonians 5.11, just as you are doing. The stability of our faith, the value it comes in, the stability of our faith and the immunization from the deception of sin. Hebrews 3 Whoever wrote Hebrews 3 wrote this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then he goes on to say, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So how do we overcome uh, lest there be any evil, unbelieving heart that leads us to fall away from the living God? We exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Now, that's pretty simple. It's kind of like, I don't know if there's any Joe's Crab Shacks around anymore, but Joe's Crab Shack has on their wall out front, tomorrow, free, ca free crabs. Free crabs tomorrow. A friend of mine managed the, the Joe's Crab Shack in Rivergate, and he told me they had people calling up their irate because they wanted their free crabs, and he would tell them, but that's tomorrow. <laughs> but yet, I saw it yesterday. Well, that today it's still up there. Tomorrow they're free. <laughs> Paul, or whoever wrote, I don't think Paul did, but whoever wrote Hebrews said, as long as it's called so everybody say today. today. Encourage one another. Don't wait till tomorrow. And you sure can't do it yesterday. I'd like to encourage you yesterday. 
That didn't help me any. I would write, I'd really like to exhort you and encourage you tomorrow. Well, I hadn't got there yet. I'm still looking for the free crabs. <laughs> but when it's called today, encourage one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then finally, as our hearts are knit together, the flow of encouragement will be realized. Paul writes again to the Colossians, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Knit together. The Old Testament says that Jonathan and David's hearts were knit together as brothers in covenant love. And as we serve together, as we walk together, as we, as we spend time together in smaller circles, our hearts become knit and we become encouraged. And we need that encouragement. If you'll do me one more favor, we're going to close. If you'd turn to Hebrews 10, we're going to finish up right here. Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we preachers love using that last verse to beat people up, to get them, get them here on Sunday mornings. That does apply, but that's not primarily what the writer is after. What he's after is, let us consider how we can, how we can, the word really there in the, in the Greek is really to incite, to incite you to good love and good works. And so to do that, don't, don't neglect the getting together. Don't neglect the getting together with one another, with God's people. And whether that be a Sunday morning gathering in a room like this, whether that be in a small group, or whether that be you or somebody else at the Waffle House, or wherever else you like to eat, whatever be the case, don't neglect the gathering together as is the habit of some. So in these two verses, these three verses, he tells us to, first of all, to stir one another up. To incite one another. And then he says, encourage one another. These two gifts, by the way, maybe as I've been talking about this gift of encouragement or gift of exhortation, you might have thought about somebody. Someone might have come to your mind. That every time you need encouragement, they're there. Every time you need exhortation, they're there. Every time they exhale, they exhale encouragement and exhortation. Because they're gifted to do that. 
Everyone should encourage and everyone should exhort. But there is a gift, a spiritual gift that some people possess that that causes them to just be exhorters. When they open their mouth, encouragement comes out. You've been around people like that. I have too. And sometimes they make me so mad. Man, you see everything is rosy and everything is positive. And I want to see it negative a while. No, I don't. I love it when people are encouraging. And when I get around someone who has the gift of encouragement and exhortation, guess what? I'm always encouraged. This thing's not complicated. You all right with that? Stand with me.